Imagine for a moment you're at the water's edge before the Son of God. The Word became flesh, amen, and dwelt among us. And there He is at the water's edge. In Mark chapter 4, I trust if you have your Word, you've got it open there. Mark 4, verse 1, again, Jesus began to teach by the lake, and the crowd that gathered around him was so large that he got into a boat and sat in it on the lake while all the people were along the shore at the water's edge. He taught them many things about parables, and in his teaching he said this, Listen, listen. A farmer went out to sow his seed, and as he was scattering the seed, some fell along a path, and birds came and ate it up. Some fell on rocky places where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow, but when the sun came up, the plants were scattered, were scorched, and they withered because they had no root. Other seed fell among thorns, which grew up in choked the plant so that they did not bear grain. Still other seed fell on good soil. It came up, it grew, and it produced a crop, multiplying 30, 60, or even 100 times. And Jesus said, listen, he who has ears to hear, let them hear. And when he was alone, the 12 and the others around him asked him about this parable. He told them, the secret of the kingdom of God has been given to you. The secret of the kingdom of God has been given to you. But to those on the outside, everything is said in parables so that they may be ever seeing but never perceiving, ever hearing but never understanding. Otherwise, they might turn and be forgiven. And Jesus said to them, don't you understand this parable? How then will you understand any parable? The farmer sows the word. Some people are like seed along the path where the word is sown. As soon as they hear it, Satan comes and takes it away, takes the word away that was sown in them. Others, like seed sown on rocky places, they hear the word and it wants to receive it with joy. But since they have no root, they last only a short time and when trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they quickly fall away. Still others sowed like sowed seed. Still others like seed sown among thorns. They hear the word. But the worries of this life, the deceitfulness of wealth, the desire for other things comes in and chokes the word, making it unfruitful. Others like seed sown on good soil, they hear the word. They accept the word and it produces a crop 30, 60, even a hundred times what was sown. Thank you, Rob. Good morning. How are you today? Yeah? Well, before I get started, I want to thank many of you for praying for uh, my family and I this last week. Uh, many of you know that uh, a week ago, Saturday, we got a phone call from uh, Wendy's, parent, Wendy's mom saying her dad was admitted to the hospital and her, his organs were shutting down. He is out of the hospital doing better, still needs prayer. And we just had kind of one of those crazy weeks. Uh, Monday, my son 
hurt his foot. We thought it was a stress fracture. It's not. It's just a tendon, but he's still in a boot for three weeks and annoyed because he can't play soccer. And then Friday, my wife had her gallbladder out. So, And my wife is really pretty funny under anesthesia. We, uh, we, uh, she's funny otherwise too, but, but, uh, there was this one moment while we got her home from the outpatient and my son has never not experienced too many, my oldest son has not experienced too many people with anesthesia and she kind of rolls over in bed half awake going, I'm hungry. And I say, well, what do you want? Do you want a cracker? You want, no, no, no. Well, do you want a pear? And she goes, can I have a pear tree too? And my son just thought that was hysterical. Just sat and laughed and laughed and laughed at her. <laughs> and then she didn't know what was going on. But she's doing better. She's uh, kind of driven. She has a hard time. She uh, Yesterday she was going, I just can't stand sitting still, so I want some Roundup, and I want to go out and round up the patio. And I said, honey, you just had surgery. Sit down. You're still on drugs. Sit down. And uh, she was confident before going into this that uh, that today she would be ready to have this great big mixer thing where you could get connected to small groups and stuff. And she goes, ah, I'll have it on Friday. I'll be up to, up to, to help run that event. Well, it's not happening today. I convinced her beforehand that it wouldn't. But look for May 5th. We're going to have uh, tables out there. We're going to have small groups. We're going to have connection groups like basketball or, or golf that's happened in the summer. Just places you can connect to make friends and places you can connect to grow on May 5th uh, after each service. So it's going to be an exciting day that day. So, But thank you. Thank you very much for praying for us this last week. It's just been kind of a weird week for us as a family. Okay, so on to today. There's a German... Uh, poet named Rene Rilke, who one day went to a museum. And while he was there, he stumbled across this amazing statue, and he spent most of the day just staring at the statue. And he went home that evening, and he actually wrote in his diary, I must change my life. Kind of odd, isn't it? I would have thought that maybe staring at a beautiful art piece of artwork, he would go home and say, wow, what an amazing piece. Wasn't it beautiful? How did they ever make this happen? How did they get this out of stone? Can you imagine them doing this? But no, he wrote, I must change my life. And it, it reminds me of so many of the interactions that we see between people and God in the Bible when we experience God's beauty and His presence and just ponder it for a while. The response so often is not, wow, that's really cool, that's really beautiful, but the response in many people's lives is, I must change my life. And our lives can go from ordinary to extraordinary in a moment of time. And we all understand, most likely from our own experiences, that when we experience something powerful, when we experience something amazing that just takes our breath away or or just touches us deeply, that we usually have this reaction to it that just makes us feel like, man, my life is a shadow of what it really could be. And we want to change. And today, Jesus in this very simple story shows us the power of change and how greatly our lives can change and teaches us some lessons about what it takes to live a life that is actually really, really transformed and powerful as opposed to just okay. And he picks this really strange picture and image for us. He picks this this small little thing that Most of the time could fit in the palm of your hand, 
hardly notice. You drop it on the ground and you lose it and you can't find it. And he says the power of change of the gospel is found in the lesson of the seed. And as we look at this today, we're going to look at three different things, actually four, but I'm only going to label three because the fourth is hidden in one. You'll get get it, don't worry. About how the seed relates to us and what Jesus is trying to teach us. First of all, it says the word of God is powerful. The seed is powerful. It's amazing. Now, when we think of the Word of God, which is comparing the seed to the gospel, the message, the, the Bible, we, we think of that, and if we've been a Christian for any time, you, you think of that naturally as, as the power. And I, I don't want to diminish from that because certainly uh, we're, we believe that divine, the, the, the Scripture and the Bible is divinely inspired. We believe that anything God speaks will be, if it's truly Him, will be consistent with that. But, but I want you to think about it not just there, but I also want you to think about about it in terms of the fact that we've talked about the fact that God doesn't want to be just an idea to us. He doesn't want to be just words on paper, principles and thoughts. He wants to be real by the power of his Holy Spirit. And so the word is also God coming to us in our daily life on a regular basis and maybe speaking us to us through the Bible, sometimes giving us a dream, sometimes giving us a picture, sometimes orchestrating circumstances, sometimes speaking something through somebody else that, that they had no idea that we were thinking about that just confirms what God's saying. God meets us in an alive way on a regular basis. And when we learn to accept that seed, it becomes powerful. In fact, the Bible talks about it elsewhere. Not, just not here. It talks about it elsewhere. In James 1, it says this, Humbly accept the word planted in you, which can save you power. First Peter 1.23 says, For you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and enduring word of God. You see, when this seed that we're talking about today, when we learn to cultivate it and let it come in deeply, it releases power. It's not like this glass. I could, I could take this glass and I could throw it on the ground, break it and stuff it under the ground and plant it. And what do we think is going to happen to it? Nothing, right? The only, the only life that's going to ever be happening related to this is if I take my shoes off and I walk across it barefooted and I cut myself and then it's going to be me spilling my blood. But there's no life that comes out of this, and yet we can throw this simple thing called the Word of God, Him speaking, making it real to us, and somehow we can learn to have it come into our life in a way that releases this whole amazingly beautiful, transforming, organic power within us, and we become alive. Now, the Bible, does the Bible say that that we're dead? Yeah, it says that we're dead in, in our sins and trespasses. And, but even before we've accepted Him and before the Spirit's come to dwell in us, it's not like, in a sense, it's not like we're completely dead because we all know that God, even in our own experience, if you are a follower of Christ and have submitted your life to Him and accept Him, you know that even before you made that decision, there were moments of God coming to you. There was moments of touching that life of God. But think of it this way that this life that he wants to plant in us. In our world, there are three different orders of life. There are plants, they're alive. There are animals, they're alive. And they're different than plants. And there are humans, and they're alive. And they're different than animals as well. But when we talk about, in common language, a human being who through 
whatever reason, some sort of accident or damage or severe injury becomes only able to function at the level of a plant, we call them what? We call them a vegetable. And is that really being fully alive as a human? Now, I don't want to take that. This analogy breaks down right there really fast. Because you could use that analogy and you could, you could extend it and you could argue for euthanasia. You could devalue human life and none of that is biblical. None of that is what we think. We want to, but I just want to make the point of the difference between life. And what, what Jesus is saying is when this word comes into us, when, when his spirit comes into us and we allow his word to go deep in us, it, it releases this life that takes us to a whole new order of life a whole new understanding, a whole new level of aliveness, an aliveness of understanding spiritual realities that we could never understand outside of the experience of God and following Him and being filled by Him. It takes our belief in God from theoretical to real. You see, most people in America today, if you ask them, they believe in God and they believe in even a loving God. But when real trouble happens, I mean real trouble, difficult stuff happens, is the wisdom and power of God and the goodness of God such a reality that they remain at peace even within the trouble? Or when you face real trouble, do we just freak out and get caught up in our worries and our stress? You see, to the degree that your belief is theoretical, Theory only, ideas only, we'll freak out when life happens to us. Think of it this way. You receive harsh criticism. Maybe you're unjustly accused at your job or in your home or in your family or by friends, and it's just really harsh and it's hurtful to hear it. Is the Father's love so real, so deep, so meaningful, so alive in you That even in the midst of this harsh, harsh criticism that would normally destroy you and put you down, are you able to stay in this sense of peace and even joy and knowing God's with you? The seed, the word, it's not just information. It's the power of God to birth and grow life that is of a higher order. It's not, it's not just mechanical growth. It's organic growth. You see, religion is mechanical growth. Gospel is organic growth. And the reality is that both create change. Think of it this way, mechanical. We have this, imagine there's a pile of bricks here. In religion, we can, we can grow. How do you grow bricks? You just stack them on top of each other. You keep putting them on top of each other. You put mortar between them so hopefully they stand and they don't fall over. But, but you know, we, we go into religion and we start stacking things on top. We've got classes to go to. We've got things we need to get rid of in our life. We've got things we get, habits we need to add and things we need to do regularly. And we've got rituals and services and, and service that we need to do and, and all sorts of things that we need to do. Traditions we need to keep. And we do these things and we stack them on top of each other and we create a certain amount of change but the reality is we also create this wall in our life as well but organic growth is more like just gently putting this bulb into the ground and over time this 
this organism, this beautiful organism just grows and becomes more complex and more beautiful and stronger and it gets stronger and tougher and yet it's... And when we see our granite growth in our life, we become stronger and tougher and yet we also become more empathetic, more sensitive. We, we grow more confident and we grow more bold and yet we also grow more humble and less focused on ourselves. We become more generous, more able to love people who are difficult, more able to forgive, more able to be in conflict with people and yet respond with both good boundaries. If you need boundaries, take the boundaries class that we just mentioned or the small group. And yet we can also express ourselves with deep compassion and valuing of the other person even when we set those boundaries. Has that happened in your life? Does God want to do more of that in your life? Romans 1.16 says, For I am not ashamed of the power of the gospel, of the word of God, because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes. The gospel is real power. Have we felt that? Is the gospel more than information to you? Is it a relationship, not just ideas? Second, Jesus teaches us that the word of the gospel is likened to a seed because of the way it releases its power in our lives. Okay, so the story has three soil types, right? We all, we all heard that. And in these three soil types, actually there's four, but in the first three soil types, we see either no growth or diminished life. We certainly don't see radical change and fruitfulness and goodness going on. In the first two soils, it's a depth problem. The the, the seed just doesn't go deep enough. On one, it just lays on the surface. It's hard. We just treat it as common and throw it away, and we trample on it, don't even consider it to be powerful. We just treat it as common. The second one, we allow it to come in, and we're kind of excited about it. We like the idea of having some greenery in our life, but it still doesn't go deep enough. It never comes to fruition. In the third type of soil, we struggle with priority issues. There's competing desires. There's competing wants, competing priorities, the worries of our life, the deceitfulness of wealth and our definitions of success. We could say that from this parable, and it has been said, and there's an element of truth, so this is the reason I'm saying it, that the, the, the only choice we really have in life, the only choice we as humans really have in life is the kind of soil we're going to be. Are we going to be people who are relentlessly, consistently, persistently open, not hiding things, not letting those rocks stay under the surface and being hidden, but getting rid of them? Are we going to be people who aren't cluttered in our priorities? Are we going to be soft and even open to hearing what God wants to do? People who are searching, focused and deep, intentional. And for some of us, I've even had conversations like this in the last few weeks, some of us, sometimes that just sounds intense. And where's the fun in that? And yet, the invitation of Jesus today and through this story to us is the invitation to be fully alive in every season of life, 
whether we're in the season after harvest and life is dormant and we need rest and or whether we're in the season where it actually can be painful sometimes and there's just deep plowing going on or 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 after the deep plowing in the spring comes the just gentle plowing that just goes through the softness makes it soft and even and removes the scars what's the season god has you in he wants us to be fully alive or to be fully alive in the season of planting where there's new dreams new hopes new wants new desires that are coming or the season where things are starting to come up and we're starting to see stuff happen and, and it's beautiful but yet we're struggling with these weeds that are going on we got to figure out how to do that or whether it's a season of full fruitfulness and reward and abundance there's so much that God wants us to experience in the joy of each one of those seasons but we only get to the really good stuff if we learn to be people who allow God to go deep. And what does that look like? You know, I grew up in farming communities. And the first real job I had in seventh grade, now I had been working from second grade on with with mowing lawns and paper routes, but farmers don't consider that real work, right? So my first real job was picking rock. How many here have ever picked rock? Anybody here? I actually ran into a couple people after the first service who'd picked rock. Picking rock is as glorious as it sounds. You go through this field that's been freshly disc plowed before they've gone through and smoothed it and made it really nice for planting. And you basically have four, five, six guys who walk the dusty field looking for rocks. And you pick them. That's the reason they call it. It's just an interesting name. It's such a creative name, Picking Rock. You pick them and you just throw them on a wagon. And, you know, sometimes you take, you basically take anything from about this size all the way up to just, you know, huge things that you have to get out. These great big six, eight foot long metal poles to get leverage to get them out. And you got to get a, and sometimes that's not even good enough. I, I, I went picking rock and we found some and it was so much fun as a teenager. Let's get this 400 pound rock out of here. And then we found one one time that, we brought the, the big stuff out. We brought the shovel out, and we still couldn't even get it to budge. And so that year, the farmer said, I'm going to work around that one because <laughs> he couldn't even get it out. And here's, here's something that for me, because of that experience and, and this story, I think Jesus wants to make an observation out of to us. Some of you go through life getting discouraged Because for you, in your walk with God and your faith, it just seems like the rocks never stop. Or if they do stop, all of a sudden, a couple years down the road, you've got more rocks. And you see, when you're on a farm and you're picking rock, depending on the field, depending on the nature of it and how many hills and stuff, you may pick rock every year or you may pick rock once every 10 years. And some of you, I don't care how often you have to pick rock, but some of you get to the point where 10 years down the line, you go, oh man, there's this big massive boulder. Where'd that come from? I guess I'm not mature. I guess I really didn't deal with stuff. And the reality is, you know what? There's a couple beautiful images of the gospel in this whole metaphor of agriculture that Jesus is giving us. One is that, you know, he doesn't feel a need to deal with everything in our life right away. He loves us so much. And he doesn't even feel the need to keep us from having great seasons of fruitfulness. Because I've been in, I've been in great, fantastic fields that had great fruitfulness and all of a sudden a bunch of rocks appear. And you know what? 
It's just part of God's timing. It's part of His goodness, part of His patience. And it doesn't matter if you you go 20 years and all of a sudden you've got this boulder and it's the biggest rock you've got in your life. You don't have to be discouraged about that. You don't have to feel like you're a failure. You don't have to feel like, where did this come from? God just in His timing brings stuff season after season up. Every season we plow, every season He brings something up and He produces beauty throughout the whole process for us. It's a beautiful metaphor. But it is a bit of a misnomer to think, uh, in fact, it's religious to think that we are in control of the type of soil we are. The the metaphor that Jesus is giving us in this parable is that we are the soil, but God's the plow, God's the rain, God's the sower of seed, God's the puller of the weeds. He's all those other things. Really, our only choice in life is how we're going to live. Are we going to live open to whatever he wants to do, whenever he wants to do it? Not resisting it? Or are we going to live closed and hard, hiding, ashamed because of things that come up in our lives? You know, the lesson of Jesus for us today in the faith is that is the power of the cedars released by going deep in us. And when we learn to lead open, intentional lives, paying attention and being responsive to God, even in all the mundaneness of life, think about it for a minute. Life is really fairly simple. Life is really fairly repetitive in nature. It's easy for us to come to church and say, I've heard that before. I don't need it. I've heard that before. It's boring. It's not new. Because too often we come to church and we come to our faith with the idea that we come to entertainment with. It's got to be new. It's got to be interesting. It's got to be exciting. Otherwise, it's not worth it. And yet, how many times can you see a seed and think it's interesting? Don't seeds quickly, especially for farmers, don't seeds quickly become common and boring. And it's easy for us to approach church, it's approach our devotional time or approach our small group time or our life that way. And, and really the lesson, the lesson that Jesus wants to give us about the power of change through the course of our lifetime, the most powerful lesson I think he wants to give us is to come to things with a different attitude. To be able to look at this seed even though we've seen it a thousand times before, to be able to listen to a message like this, even though you've probably heard, if you've been in church all your life, you've probably heard 10 or 20 or 30 or 40 messages on this passage, to be able to come back to same things that we hear over and over again and to allow each time for God to place them deeply in our hearts and for Him to spring a new life in us instead of just treating it as common and casting it aside on a path or casting it aside on a shallow area and just going, ah, I've heard that before. It's, it's all the same. It's really change is all about the attitude that we come to our faith with. Are we going to stay open? Because life is really simple. You know this as parents. 
If you've got, especially if you've got older parents. I remember when I was younger with, with parenting, there were so many times I'd worry about stuff, and we were reading books on child psychology, and we were reading books on uh, discipline, and how to raise your child, and all this, and all that stuff's good. Do that. But you know what? The core of parenting is just staying with the fundamentals and being persistent. Am I just going to be persistent and consistently come back to the same thing? My child needs to be grateful. My child needs to be thankful. They need to learn. Are we just persistent? It's, it's the old physics lesson that we all had applied to life. If we had a ball here that was a 20,000-pound ball hanging from a cable from the ceiling, we'd be all dead, right? Because the roof would collapse on us. That's not the point. But you remember the physics lesson. You can stand up against that 20,000-palm ball and you can throw your shoulder in it and push as hard as you can. And you're hardly going to get that thing to budge. But if you just sit here persistently, rhythmically, pushing on it, over time, that ball is going to be swinging from wall to wall and you're never going to do anything more than this. And Jesus is saying, are you going to continue to come to me persistently? Being open, having a rhythm of openness, looking for this common seed that you see all the time. And even though it's boring doing this for the 10,000th time, will you continue to take this seed and let it be planted in you and allow me to breathe life into you and depth into you? To not treat wisdom and circumstances and the seasons we face over and over again in life as old hat, but rather look beyond the information to how God is continuing to unearth more in our life, to plant another season in our life, to go deeper in our life, to soften another area of our life. You see, we only accomplish this when devotions in our church experience are not inspiration and entertainment. We approach them as God wanting to speak to us, even in the routine, even though we've seen this seed a million times. It's organic growth, not mechanical. What does that look like? What does organic versus mechanical look like? And, and maybe even the approach, well, let's, let's, look at a, let's look at another example. In Galatians 2, we get to see this amazing little story of two apostles fighting, having an argument, disagreeing strongly. It's Peter and Paul. And Peter has allowed himself in this instance to succumb to the old superiority complex of religion and racism. You see, people have come into town who are, who are saying, you are really only a faithful follower of Christ if you do all the Jewish law and all the right things and are circumcised and you shouldn't associate with anybody who doesn't do that. And Peter finds himself succumbing to this superiority complex and racism and beginning to disassociate himself from the Gentiles that he's around. And Paul confronts him. Now, think about it for a second, though. Why did Peter do that? Was it because he was an evil dude? Well, there's stuff that needs to be rooted out of him, but it's not so much different than all of our lives, is it? I mean, all of us have these things in our lives, whether they're whether it was racism or whether it was a view of what a, a, a real man looks like or a real woman looks like or a view of what success is. Or we have all these different things in our life that we were taught and some of them good and, and many of them not good. And even after we learn that something is not good, if we were raised that way our whole life, it's always 
this thing that just keeps coming. It's this thing that's deep that keeps cropping up that just keeps coming out. And this is, this is what's happening in this instance. It's just, it's just the plow going a little deeper in Peter's life. And, and Paul could have come to Peter and said, you know, that's racism, Peter. It's against God's will. Stop it. Or God's going to get you. Right? And we do that sometimes. I, I, unfortunately, I still succumb to doing that in parenting sometimes. Just stop it. Stop being bad. Be responsible. And in Peter's instance, this racism, like so many of our other bad behavior in life, is driven by fear. So let me ask you this. Would that kind of a confrontation have dealt with the fear in Peter's life? Or would it have just stirred it? Would it have just stirred the fear? You know, you confront like that and all, it, all that happens is you start building a few more bricks. You build the right behavior or, or you take this rock and you throw a little dirt on top of it and hide it and, and then try to make sure you're good. And that's what that kind of confrontation does. And instead, Paul does something different. He, he speaks the truth to him. He confronts him saying, this is wrong. But he goes on to remind Peter of his own experience with Jesus and his forgiveness and his love and the fact that Jesus was excluded, a cast-out person from people for Peter on his behalf. He pulls back into Peter's own memory of the goodness of God. And in so doing, he invites him to change at the heart level, not just the behavior level. You see, the seed inside needs to go deep. The experience the experience of the life and the hope of God needs to come from the inside out and change us. It needs to be something that we in our own lives sense and see and feel and know this life even before others around it begin to see it. The seed is powerful. It can change our lives. There's this funny, fun little story about the power of a seed. In the 11th century, uh, there's an 11th century church in Hertfordshire, Hertfordshire County, England. It's called St. Peter's Church. And it's a beautiful Saxon-era uh, architecture, but, and it's a, a popular tourist spot. But people don't go there primarily for the church. They go there for a grave. It's the grave of Lady Anne Grimston. And Lady Anne Grimson was a very wealthy, very powerful person in that area of the country over 200 years ago. It's been dead 200 years and still it's a tourist spot. She was a lady who did not believe in God, did not believe he was real. And in her own words, she said this. She said, if indeed there is life hereafter, trees will render asunder my tomb. About 10, 15 years after her marble sarcophagus or whatever you call a tomb on the ground built the lid was starting to come off and the the caretakers of the facility pushed it back on and a few months later all of a sudden the lid's starting to come off again and it's starting to crack and there's actually some green leaves sticking through and they take all that out and they put cement in and and today you can go and visit that and there's four trees that have come together with one big base coming out of her tomb crushing the marble and growing so large that the that the wrought iron or metal gate around it is lifted out of the ground because of this tree growing up. The power of a seed is amazing. And God wants us to never forget that, even though they're so common, so ordinary. 
Third, the word of God and the gospel is likened to a seed because its weakness, its weakness is its power. Think about this. Why did Jesus choose a seed? He could have gone to the Old Testament and chosen many images about the word of God and many images about the power of the kingdom and his good news. He could have chosen a hammer. He could have chosen from the Old Testament a sword. He could have chosen fire. And yet he chooses seed that can be so easily eaten. It can be just thrown on the ground and trampled and rendered useless in a second. It, it, It can be choked even after it's started to sprout and die. It's weak. It's common. It's so easy to treat flippantly. One of the illustrations that I have to remember that I still kind of chuckle at. Years ago, uh, we visited Bouchard Gardens. Anybody been there in Vancouver Island, British Columbia? It's one of the most beautiful gardens in the world, I think. And we got a picture of it here actually for you. It's just spectacular. So this tells you a little bit about who I am. I'm at the garden for 15 minutes and I go, you seen one yellow flower? Why do I need to see the next, see the next one million? You know? And it's just so easy to treat the messages we hear over and over again, the passages we read over and over again, the, the sermons we hear over and over again, the, the, the wisdom and the recommendations and the counsel we hear over. It's so easy to treat them like I was treating the yellow flowers that day and And it's just so easy to miss the beauty of what God wants to bring to our lives because it's so easy to treat what God's doing in our life flippantly. And yet the seed is paradoxically weak and common and insignificant, yet it's strong at the same time. Think about this apple. This apple, I could could eat it and I could throw it in the garbage. I could let it drop off the tree on the ground and rot and nothing would ever come of it. We could just grind it up and we could, it'd be gone. Right? Just insignificant. We eat apples every day. And yet within this apple is the power to populate the entire earth with apple trees and to feed millions of people. To burn wood, to heat the houses of many people. To build works of art out of the wood. There's so much power in the multiplication of a simple seed No hammer, no fire, no sword has the power to do that. And yet a seed can be crushed and it's gone. You see, in the book of Mark, up to this point that we've been studying, we've seen stories that describe people's reaction to the word, to the gospel, that reflect all three of the, all four of the soils actually that we're looking at today. We've seen the religious leaders and the, and the politically powerful who have responded to the to the seed with disdain, with hardness, with that's so common, that's so ordinary. It's given to me by unintellectual people, untrained people. Why should I pay attention to that? And it, it just hits them and bounces off. It gets trampled and it's disdained. We've seen the crowds who are happy with Jesus as long as he's doing the miracles and there's no depth to them. They just want to get back to the healing service. They don't care so much about who Jesus is. And we've seen his family uh, who's upset about competing desires of wanting to make sure Jesus is respected, that our family name isn't dishonored, and they're coming to him trying to, trying to take him away forcibly because they think he's insane. 
This is not just a parable of how people respond to the word in general, but it's how we respond to Jesus. And Jesus didn't come as a hammer. He didn't come as a sword. He didn't come as a fire. He came not to judge, but to be judged. He came not to condemn, but to, but to save. He came not to be strong, but to weaken, to be weak and die. And he himself even said it in John 12, 24. If a, if a seed doesn't fall to the ground in powerlessness and die, it can't release its life. And the garden of Gethsemane the night before Jesus went to the cross, facing indescribable stress, spiritual, emotional, physical stress, so much so that his capillaries burst and he bled through his pores along with his sweat. And he asked God, is there any other way? And the answer was, unless you die, my life cannot be released into them. And them is us. Them is you. Them is me. Them is the millions of people that because he was willing to be found in weakness, now have life. Jesus became voluntarily weak for us. And it's the secret of God's power. Three of the four soils reject the power of the word because they live life through extrinsic faith versus intrinsic faith. Extrinsic faith is serving God for what you get. The people in the path, they got nothing out of him because at best they were cynical skeptics and at worst they were hardened people who just simply saw the seed as foolishness, as common, as ordinary, as nothing special. It's just another story. We've told stories similar to that. It's just not nothing special. The people on the rocky soil, they get a little... But nothing lasts, nothing reorient. It's not something that reorients their life, that, that becomes full of beauty because they're still caught in religion. They're still caught in the need to hide and look good on the surface instead of dealing with stuff honestly and letting people see the stuff that's below the surface, letting God see it and letting God deal with it. So they have too, they're too shallow. And we see the third soil. They, they get more. They get a little bit more, but the beauty and the blessing is unnecessarily choked out. It's, it's a lack of purity. It's, it's, a, it's the need for worldly approval. It's the need for status. It's all these competing desires, the need for the entertainment the way we want it to be that allows us to, prevents us from being pure and, and, and having our priorities right with God. The seed to be full of life needs to be deep and it needs to be the unquestioned primary life force in our life. One group breaks through it all. One group experiences blessing 30, 60, 100 fold that is amazingly beyond anything we could ask or think. And it's actually found, the secret of it is actually found in verses 11 and 12. In these two verses that so many people read and they go, really? I mean, how's that fair, God? How is it fair for you to come out and say the, the secret of the kingdom of God has been given to you, but to those on the outside, everything is said in parables so that they may be ever seeing but never perceiving, ever hearing but never understanding. Otherwise, they might turn and be forgiven. Really, God, are you just saying you don't want people to be forgiven? Are you saying you're trying to hide stuff from us? What's the deal? Jesus is actually quoting Isaiah 6, 9 through 10. 
And basically, you can understand that passage this way. Jesus is surrounded by people from these three different types of soil. He's surrounded by throngs of people who want the miracles, but not him. They just want to get back to the miracle service to get their needs met. And what Jesus is actually saying here is that the parables are, in a sense, like filters. Filtering out those people who really want who I am. The people who, in verse 10, it says this. The verse right before it says, the disciples came to him and didn't understand it, and they did what? They they asked, they sought, they pursued, they stayed open, they came for more, they wanted it to go deeper. They asked for more. They were an intentional in their openness and intentional in their pursuit. And the core question of what Jesus is saying here for us, if we want this kind of life change, if we want this kind of life power, Are we going to really be a seeker? Or are we going to be hard or after our own needs? Do we really want Him? And are we going to intentionally pursue that? The question today is, what's the soil of your life like right now? What's God doing in you now? Is He... Is he in a plowing season? Is he in a smoothing and a healing season? Is he in a planting season of new hopes and dreams? Is he in a season where, where he's pulling weeds? Is he in a season where he's, he's uncovering some rocks and you need to be honest with him and let him touch that? What's the soil of your life right, right now? Are you seeking for your own needs and your wants? Are you seeking to protect yourself and protect your need to be in control? Or are you really seeking? And I don't want us to leave today without actually applying that. Because if we we leave today without applying it, it's just another idea. It's just another message. It's just another thought. It's just another seed cast on the ground and hoping it will actually get in there. I want you to take a couple moments with this image on the screen that's going to show up in a second. I want you to just think, God, and just ask God the simple question. What are you doing now? What's the soil in my heart right now? What do I need to pay attention to? How do I be open to you right now? Would you take a moment, just ask that question and expect him as the God who's alive to come and give you right thoughts. Okay, let's do that. I'm trusting that God's speaking and bringing things to your mind. Would you just respond to him with uh, a prayer? Just, Just... Tell him how you want to respond to what you're feeling, what you're sensing, what he's showing you. In fact, you may even want to take the next step if your husband or wife or a close friend's next to you. Maybe you want to turn to them and say, this is what God's saying to me and pray with one another. Would you do that now? Just respond to him. Lord, as the song is saying, we are yours. Would you come and help us? Whatever season you have us in, whatever you're doing in us, whether you're planting new hopes and dreams that aren't even seen by others yet to, to trust your life in us, whether the, whether the seed is sprouting and there's weeds that we need to deal with, whether there's a, it's a tough time, a painful time, and there's rocks that you're bringing out that you want to deal with, help us, Lord, to be honest seekers of you, to live arms open wide instead of closing ourselves up, to say to you whatever you want to do, 
Lord, do it. Whatever you want to lead me, lead me. Whatever you want to touch in my life, would you touch? And Lord, I give it to you. Um, I think there's some of you here who you have, uh, you have a marble slab over your heart and you've doubted whether God can even remove that. The seed of God has the power to crack and move that. Remove it completely to shatter it. Just respond to him now and say, God, I haven't believed you could remove this from my life. I haven't believed I could conquer this. I haven't believed I could do this. But Lord, I trust you. Would you say that to God? Would you respond to him now? And let him come to you and birth something in you, plant a seed, give you hope. And trust him to do that. Thank you for being here today. If you uh, would like to be prayed for by somebody, there'll be people around to pray or grab a friend. Let's go, let's go trust God's word. It's powerful. Let's not treat it as ordinary. Let's come to it expecting life. God bless. Have a great week.